The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. In this episode, Dave, Jack, and Jeb talk about new threats of user fees, proposals for increased security measures on general aviation, and share their thoughts about the student pilot checkride experience. All that and more on the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast, episode number Lucky 13, a pie full of dogs and cats. This is my uh, this is my diet cherry vanilla Dr Pepper. Oh my God. I, ha- I have to a, keep the pipes moist. I have a glass of lemon ice water. Ooh. How continental! How about that? Oh man, there you go. You just did it. I was going to start back a couple minutes ago, but now you did. <laughs> I love it when a plan comes together. Well, we, we, we need to come up with a sound, and we could beep. You know, you could insert the beep sound. Uh, you know, if we came up with something, so that uh, we didn't need to check the explicit language box. Yeah. But then we'd come a lot closer to uh, coming across like the Daily Show. Yeah. What's We're that? Not afraid to use the language. We just don't let it out over the air and everybody fills in the blank on their own. Well, what's that, 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 what is it, the outer marker or the inner marker has that distinctive say, tone? You, well, we, we can get one of those tones. And, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, or or, uh, you know, or gear, a stall warning horn. Hell. The stall warning <laughs> horn. Well, there you go. If that's perfect right there. There you go. Yeah, yeah, ne- we'll needs to be succinct, though. That's right. Okay. All right. Everybody take a deep breath. Here we go. <laughs> oh, well, this is just not starting well. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it falls under the heading. Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, hey, right. I, I just won my 8,402nd game of checkers on my computer. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. Uh, here we are this evening for uh, episode number uh, Lucky 13. Lucky, Lucky thir- 13. Lucky 13. Lucky 13 of Uncontrolled Airspace. I'm Jack Hodgson. With us this evening is Dave Higdon. From, uh, you're in Wichita tonight, right? You're still at in home Wichita or at your studio? Dave Higdon, aviation photographer, senior editor of Kit Planes Magazine, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. Hi, Dave. How you doing? I'm doing good. Well, everybody out there, I hope you've uh, been enjoying the winter weather that we've endured here this past week in the Midwest. I, I flew right over your head the other day. Uh, did you see me wave? I, uh, I Actually, my ears were burning when that's, a jet went over. I wondered who it was. That's what it was. Also with us tonight is uh, Jeb Burnside. Jeb uh, talking to us from Springfield, Virginia. Jeb is a freelance aviation journalist, currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine, and also as a contributing editor to Avweb Biz. Hi, Jeb. How you doing? Howdy, folks. Good evening to everybody. I think I flew over your head, too, uh, but oh. it was cloudy, so I'm not sure. This is, uh, I was, my traveling back from uh, California. That's yeah, a long yeah. way south for going to Boston. I was well, say, that's not the great circle, right? That's what you get, that's what you get for discount airfares. Uh, ah, U.S. Airlines <laughs> from Charlotte, I'll bet. Uh, no, actually, Atlanta. I mean, it was actually fine, but, uh, oh, yeah. but I, went from o- I went from Oakland to Atlanta and uh, flew roughly over uh, Dave's 
part of the world, Wichita. I'm looking down, looking looking for a town that looks like Wichita. And uh, now, it, it, our, Dave, our, is because there's a very kind of distinct line, at least from 37,000 feet, um, of where the snow it's called ends. Nebraska. Yeah, right. Where the snow ends. Is there snow on the ground in Wichita now, Dave? Oh yeah, big time. Yeah. Uh, two weekends ago, we had an ice storm that uh, rained down ice pellets as opposed to freezing rain to the tune of between two and three inches of, of, uh, of ice pellets on the streets and the ground. And before that had all melted away, uh, this past weekend, we got a, between seven and eight inches of very heavy wet snow. So it's 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 really white here. It's as white as a Ku Klux Klan meeting. Yeah. <laughs> so I went. I made from there. I went to Atlanta, and and then the other part of this cheap airfare was a three-hour layover in Atlanta. Oh, was this U.S. Fun. Airways? No, this was uh, this was Delta. Oh, okay. it, it, this was a weird trip because I went onto the uh, Travelocity uh, uh, tra- travel site to get this ticket, and uh, and I you know I was kind of surfing around to find the right combination of day to go out and day to come back and so forth, um, and. And what it ended up doing is that it sent me out on United, but back on Delta, which I had never seen before. Uh, I thought huh. I thought that was kind of interesting. So yeah, I came back on Delta from Oakland to Atlanta, and then on, in, on a 737 from Oakland, and then in Atlanta they put me on a on a much smaller aircraft, a um, um, CRJ 700. Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. and right. Uh, that's the 70 seater. Yeah, and uh, and seventy seater, and it, w- it was basically me and sixty nine crying children. It was, ah. it was rough. And I mean, I've, I've, got been, on, I've been on that trip. same flight before. Yeah, it was. It, you know, fortunately, the two. I mean, I'm not kidding. It's seating seating four across. All right, it was me, two adults, and two children in four seats. Um, well, fortunately, they were probably the most well-behaved kids on the flight. They were actually okay. But there were kids in other parts of the area. It was kind of, you know, so that was my... But uh, So then we flew from Atlanta up the coast, and but we very quickly got over some overcast, and so I, I didn't exactly get a chance to see, to, to even look for Jeb's house. But, oh, uh, that's a shame. But, and, he, uh, and, and he spent the weekend painting that greeting on the roof. I know. Oh, hi, well. Jack. Oh, well. Yeah, now, well, and I just painted hi, the local Jack, up there, and the next thing you knew, the TSA was on his ass. So, yeah, but, I was going to say the the local police department has already come by three times asking me to get the the paint thinner out and get that off. They, they find it offensive somehow, but I just and we I have don't to remember understand. not to say hello to you at airports. That's, That's right. 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 Now, and just kind of to finish the the story uh, is my sort of one my main reaction from flying over Dave's part of the world, Kansas. All right, is is Dave? You've just got a whole lot of flat out there. I mean, <laughs> you know, even from thirty seven thousand feet, it looks flat. All right, that's what flat, Twiggy's boyfriend is. used to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, when you get to, when you get about. 50 miles east of uh, the Rockies, the, the front range, uh, it, 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 it smooths out quite a bit between Nebraska and Kansas until you get to Missouri. And uh, then it starts to show a little texture again. Now, in yeah. our neck of Kansas, uh, it's fairly level. But if you go about 35 miles east, it turns into a river bottom country, real craggy and hilly and, and mm-hmm. a lot of deep gullies. If you go about 100 miles west of us, then it turns into red rock country. But if you go up north and pick up Interstate 70 going westbound, man, bring along the no-dos. 
Oh yeah, it is monotonous. I, I remember, you know, I learned how to fly, and I did most of my much of my flying for a long time out in California in the San Francisco Bay Area. And out there, you know, I mean, you take off from Palo Alto Airport, you have to climb to almost three thousand feet to go ten miles from the airport. And um, and the first time I came back east and did some flying in New England, I was and New England's not exactly flat, but nevertheless, I, I was kind of shocked. I mean, I was like five hundred feet above the you know off the runway, and suddenly you can just see forever. And uh, or what seemed like forever. It was almost disconcerting. It was almost like uh, you know, like like made me nervous to be able to you know. It's like whoa, you know. But yeah. Uh, yeah. oh, there's um, a lot of short cross countries that we do around here, like to Ponca City, Oklahoma, for the monthly breakfast, or down to uh, 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 Oklahoma for the biplane expo at Bartlesville. Uh, where I don't get three thousand feet AGL because it's just not long enough flight to really right. waste right. the gas. Yeah, right. and so, the only thing you really have to watch for there is the occasional sixteen hundred foot tall tower. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. That's the, uh, yes. Uh, even out of here, I mean, if you go west, you need to have some altitude. But About if you go south or, or southwest, uh, I've 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 flown cross country at twenty five hundred feet mm-hmm. uh, without any issues at all. I, I uh, uh, Christmas a year ago, I flew up from Florida, and the winds were favorable at a low altitude, so I went um, Inverness, Florida, to Manassas, Virginia, nonstop at 2,500 feet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No-brainer. It's, it's a very different thing. So that's yeah. been my adventure over the last few days. Of course, uh, um, we, and, and for anyone who's paying attention to such things, we're recording this on uh, Wednesday evening uh, on, what's today, the 24th, I believe. 24th. Um, we're actually, Sorry, we're running late. Yeah, we're a couple of days late because, uh, uh, because although I, had a, I, I was doing real well on my uh, on-the-road internet connectivity for our previous episode, but then it all just kind of fell apart for the scheduled time. So we had to delay, but now we're all kind of getting it together. What's going on in you guys' world? Do you have any fun flying or uh, anything going on? Uh, or are you just kind of waiting out the winter? Actually, yeah. I, I uh, last week uh, Friday. Uh, let me just kind of publicly give a little shout out and and debt of gratitude to uh, um, Kate Doherty at uh, Cirrus Design. Oh, the and, lovely uh, Miss Doherty. Yes, their uh, demo pilot Justin Dillon. Uh, Justin and I went out Friday afternoon in uh, relatively new SR22 GTS Turbo. Woo. And um, the mission here was to uh, kind of verify some of the POH numbers. Um, we took the airplane up to flight level 240, um, leveled it out, let it cruise, did some other uh, uh, speed work, um, trying to figure out if uh, uh, you know the advertised claims are indeed accurate. And uh, uh, just a bunch of fun. And I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, Sirius has a great airplane in that airplane. And uh, just just uh, uh, very gratified to have that opportunity to ride in that and, and, and uh, let them show me what it does. Cool. You're going to be riding that? Um, I'm not necessarily. I uh, the data collect. They they kind of offered me the ride anyway because the airplane was in the area. Um, the data collection is going to appear in Aviation Consumer magazine sometime in the near future. I don't know. Uh, what uh, Bertarelli's plans are specifically. I just shipped him all the data this afternoon. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of fun. Cool. No, how, my, about you, how about you, Dave? My latest GA adventure was uh, just before Christmas in Florida. Uh, had the human mailing tube down to Fort Lauderdale 
for the pleasure of flying a relatively new kit design here in the United States called the Raven 500. And it's a... Uh, it's basically a composite knockoff of the old Comanche 260C, except it's cleaner uh, and a whole lot faster. There's mm -hmm. uh, a number of changes in it. I've uh, written up an article along with a photo package uh, that will be running in kit planes a little bit later in 2007. Uh, but uh, I publicly thank uh, Alan Woldridge, the U.S. distributor who hosted me in Fort Lauderdale for a couple of days and very graciously let me manhandle the only example here in the United States uh, to the tune of about three hours airtime. And cool. uh, Yeah. Uh, lo lo lovely airplane. Lovely airplane. Sounds like fun. Well, on to the news of the day here. Uh, I wish it were all as fun as what we've just been talking about. But uh, well, isn't that the truth? There's some. There's things are getting. I don't know if I want to call it ugly. Maybe it is. Maybe things are turning ugly. Dave, tell us. You're you're yeah, you're kind things of are, things in are a, already ugly. Here. You're here in an uproar right now about uh, our new Secretary of Transportation's uh, some some comments she's made on user fees. Yeah. Yesterday, uh, our new SecDot Mary Peters spoke to the Aero Club of Washington. Now, the Aero Club of Washington is. Uh, uh, comprised of uh, a lot of uh, DC movers and shakers in the aviation business, uh, alphabet group heads, uh, lobbyists for uh, different corporations, uh, some of the staff from the congressional committees that handle that. Uh, Jeb can back me up on this. And uh, yeah. yesterday, Miss Peters uh, spoke to the group. And uh, after pointing out that uh, aviation contributes over $640 billion a year to the national economy, she uh, went on a little uh, spiel about how uh, once-in-a-decade opportunity is, is uh, uh, present in 2007 to uh, fix the aviation funding system. Now... <laughs> Uh, well, that just doesn't sound good, right there. That's just key. That's just code word for we want user fees. <coughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, she made it play like uh, the uh, success of any modernization, any future improvements in the FAA system, uh, uh, hinge completely on the administration getting its way and uh, setting up a new user fee funding mechanism to uh, provide the FAA with most of its dollars and cents. Uh, and of course, uh, th th that's going to be part and parcel to changing how the FAA manages ATC, uh, which is all great news for the Air Transport Association and, uh, and, and the airline industry. Uh, but just it's, it's another shot at GA. Uh, and what's disappointing is that Ms. Peters knows fully well uh, because the numbers are there in, in, in concrete black and white, that the current excise tax funding system for the FAA is generating money faster than it ever has. It's generating more money than they can fritter away in the time that they've got. Uh, and we've yet to hear any details to flesh out exactly how they would set up these user fees and how the system would be managed, uh, how they would account for and bill all of us users that we'd be paying fees. Well, we're still really short on any meaty details, but the philosophy is starting to sound like a broken, bloody record. User yeah. fees, user fees, user fees. 
<laughs> oh. Follow the yellow brick road. Yeah, really. Follow the yellow brick road. Uh, you know, we hear a lot of yellow brick road here in Kansas, and uh, Senator Sam Brownback used a yellow brick road analogy uh, in launching his presidential bid over the weekend. But uh, when the FAA and DOT start wanting to follow the yellow brick road, uh, I want to stitch my wallet to my butt permanently. Yeah. yeah. Well... I, I was, I'm not aware of exactly what uh, the good secretary had to say, but it's all of a piece. Uh, the lay of the land here is um, um, the airlines have, have long had the FAA and its top, uh, top politicos in their hip pocket. Um, next month in February, we will see the Bush administration's uh, um, statutory or legislative proposal for uh, reauthorizing the FAA. Um, no, there's nothing to predict with this with this administration. I've been burned before. I'm not about to, to get into saying what they will or won't do. Um, but uh, the, the, the thing that most administrations would do, let's put it that way, at that juncture, would, to be, would be to deliver a detailed legislative proposal um, with proposed statutory language and additional details in, in plain text, in plain English, that would explain their proposals uh, for not only user fees, but any restructuring necessary that they feel, I should say, necessary at the FAA, and all the other little t uh, dogs and cats that would go into this pie. Uh, only God knows what this administration will do next month in that regard, and I'm surprised, I would be the least bit surprised if God himself doesn't know. Um, User fees uh, and and the trust fund and all of that. There, there is. Let's, let's let's get this out on the table. There is no crisis in no. the FAA funding. There is more than ample money uh, in the trust fund in the airport and airways trust fund, and there is more than ample money that will continue to flow into the airport and airways trust fund. Um, what we need is some some changed priorities at the FAA. I saw a blurb uh, earlier in the week where uh, I believe it was. Uh, uh, Boeing and or Lockheed Martin uh, were involved in uh, somehow uh, narrowing the field, as it were, uh, to be contractors or the contractor on this, this uh, next generation air, tra air transportation system, uh, which, although there's been a lot of proposals out there, has not even been fully defined yet. And of no, course, that is that, that's the other thing that there's, that ought to gripe anybody's butt here, is it's it's um, they're trying to figure out how to pay for something they have not even defined yet. Well, that's you know I I, I got to applaud uh, Pete Bunts. Uh, and, and the folks over at the General Aviation Manufacturers Association, because before the sun set on the Beltway yesterday, uh, they were waving the flag at what the secretary had said. Because, you know, Aero Club speeches uh, generally are covered fairly well by the trade media when someone like a secretary of transportation or an administrator of the FAA is the, is the luncheon speaker, as Ms. Peters was yesterday. Uh, yesterday being January 23rd, Tuesday. Uh, but that doesn't always trickle out through the mainstream media, some of whom may have even been in the audience. It's not at the top of their editor's uh, wish list. Uh, and, and Pete and his gang pretty much pointed out that, you know, we might be able to have a debate here 
if they actually came up with a coherent modernization plan that improves capacity, uh, that lays out the projected costs, estimates what the savings are supposed to be that they say will be in this NGATS, uh, what the equipment costs are going to be for users like us, uh, and what kind of timetable that they expect to, uh, to, to make this work under. Uh, so we got an idea, you know, just an inkling of an idea of what they want, what they need, when they plan to do it, and how it's going to work. Uh, so far, you know, and I'm going to chirp it again, so far all we've been hearing is, we need user fees, user fees, with no bloody clue with what they plan to do with it, how they plan to levy the fees, how they plan to collect the fees, how they plan to account for it, uh, what they're going to use it for, and when. Well, and the, I, the I, fact I, that they're getting record revenues into the Airport and Airways Trust Fund now, uh, you have to wonder, you know, what are those guys sniffing? Well, I think some of this is is kind of uh, predictable, uh, and all, all you have to do all predictable is look at what this administration has done with any other uh, challenge that it has uh, supposedly confronted over the last six years, and what they basically do is contracted out to either the highest bidder or the the last people in the door who happen to be the best friends with whoever's making the decision. Or the biggest contributor to the campaign. Or the biggest political contributor. And um, you can probably, you know, uh, go through uh, uh, Barron's or Forbes and, and figure out who those players are going to be. Uh, I think we've already named a couple of them here. Keeping in mind that Lockmart, Lockheed Martin, already has the uh, flight service station privatization right. contract from the FIF, from the FAA. Well, the, good, the, good um, the, the phrase the phrase really here to be using is corporate welfare. Uh, uh, corporate welfare for a very small number of corporations. Exactly. Uh, because on the flip side of this coin, uh, speaking of corporate America, there's a very high percentage of the Fortune 500 and uh, uh, a significant percentage of the Fortune 1000 that are themselves Part 91 general aviation aircraft operators who are not really wild about this attempt to pick their pockets to provide relief to airline passengers. I and mean, let's face it, that's, that's, that's who this relief would predominantly go to, would be I, I, the airline passengers, because the airlines don't pay enough into the system to uh, to wet their beaks. Oh, well, the airlines, yeah, the airlines themselves pay next to nothing <clears throat> into the system. And, and if you if they're doing it right, and, and they should be playing the float on the, uh, uh, the revenues they collect and then finally remit to the federal government a month or a quarter later, um, they, they might be in a net uh, net gain out of the deal, but um, for for all the monies they make um, in airline tickets and cargo, etc., uh, for conducting their business, um, they really don't pay nearly as much for the use of the FAA air traffic control system as say you or I do. No. Then, uh, then why are why is the airline industry apparently so in favor of user fees? Or are well, they? Be, well, they're basically, looking at a cost shift. Basically, uh, they think that they'll be able to attract more passengers if the taxes and fees involved go down, uh, because uh, basically their margin will go up. They won't lower their fares. What will happen? But their passengers what will pay less. What happens now is your, your airline ticket out to the West Coast and back, Jack. Um, 
you had a, a, a fare portion of that ticket. Right. And then you had t- taxes. You had <clears throat> the airport and airways uh, uh, transportation tax. You had the TSA uh, 9-11 tax. You had facility fees that were tacked on by the various airports. Uh, PFCs. You, you, you went through, uh, yeah, passenger facility charges. All of that is added on to the price of the ticket. Right. The airlines are concerned that that total price is, A, too high, and, B, not going in their pockets. But does anybody really think that, I mean, when has the government ever added a tax in one place and then reduced a corresponding tax someplace else? That's just, I mean, maybe maybe I'm the big, you know. The upper 1% of the income bracket. Yeah, I mean, you know, know, I mean, everybody thinks Dave's the big cynic here, but I can hold my own, and I just think that... (laughs) Oh, I wanted to be the big cynic. (laughs) I just just think this is just like the the government, by its very nature, sniffs around for new tax base opportunities, and here it is. Here's another way we can collect some money um, with the sort of, you know, hint that we're going to reduce some other tax, but they never do, do they? I, I, think, it's ab- I think it's much more uh, malicious than that, actually. Yeah, I agree. Uh, uh, much more pernicious, perhaps. Um, it, One it, thing, it is, the majors have been seeing a, a fairly significant defection in full fare and business and first class passengers who've discovered the uh, the wonders and efficiencies of chartering private aircraft for their groups uh, of aircraft ownership for their company uh, and uh, the airlines are having a harder and harder time filling seats with the high margin passengers that they long have depended on for most of their profit and it's their own fault duh because the amenities in coach and in first class are not today are not what they were even 10 years ago much less 20 or 30 years ago well, and what really uh, the service the service is much worse uh, oh, yeah. not so much you know the, the the actual transportation of the human is is probably safer now than it ever has been oh yeah but the the been putting aside all the security nonsense that the airline passengers have to go through the uh, um the, the crews are are surlier, I, I, my imagination and my my experience. Everywhere but Southwest. Um, the service is just much poorer uh, than it has been in in, in my memory, and uh, uh, that's why the the uh, shall we say the high net worth individual uh, is choosing. Uh, they're voting with their feet. They're they're, they're buying their wallets. They're, they're buying the the. Uh, the fractional ownerships, they're yep. chartering aircraft, they're flying, they're buying their own aircraft and flying uh, the Cirrus or the, the Columbia or the used Bonanza. And uh, um, they're finding that it's uh, the better way to go. We were talking offline um, uh, earlier uh, for our listeners um, about the uh, an article that appeared in USA Today last week that was, in my recollection, the most positive general aviation piece ever published by USA Today. It spoke of how various business people, generally small business people, were buying new and used uh, piston aircraft, using them to conduct business in a fashion that they were simply incapable of doing via the airlines. And um, um, that's the the, the punchline. These weren't the high and mighty flying Gulfstream. Yeah, this wasn't Steve Ford's, no. Or Citation 10. So These this were was, Moonies and Bonanzas and Cessnas. Right. Yeah. 
Well, and the thing that really, really tweaks me is the irony. I'm not going to call it hypocrisy because I don't know him that well. But the irony of this kind of, uh, of make-work, creative bureaucracy proposal coming out of an administration that supposedly is champion of smaller government and and less oh, intrusive government. Dave, where have you been? That went out the window five and That a one went out the window with uh, TSA. Yeah, that I mean, went out the uh, biggest addition ago. of government employees in decades mm -hmm. with the creation of the TSA. And one of these days, they might even get that functioning at 99%. Yeah. We, could, we could turn this into a political broadcast, a podcast, but uh, uh, I think we the punchline... We won't do that. Uh, I think the punchline here, though, is that uh, once again... We see the FAA, and this is something that goes back uh, to the mid-80s, uh, which I was heavily involved at the time. But once again, we see uh, the FAA uh, saying one thing and, and planning uh, to do another. And in, in, these, in this case, they, they're actually coming out and saying it, that we're going to move forward with uh, all of these these various proposals to raise your taxes and give you less service and turn all this over to private contractors and call it and, progress and call it progress and uh, the system is going to be worse off for it um, thankfully um, Congress is going to have its say uh, and there are various people now in Congress uh, in positions of authority and power who uh, will look askance on much of this, especially the the corporate welfare aspects of it. Well, and you got so, four hundred and ten thousand private pilots. You've got twenty eight hundred members of the National Business Aviation Association, uh, one hundred eighty thousand members of the Experimental Aircraft Association. Um, basically, fighting back against uh, twenty odd members of the ATA and uh, the whatever sundry airline passenger group claims to speak for a group that really has no spokesman yeah uh, well you've got let's you got 600,000 pilots and aircraft owners in the United States uh, and you have uh, I don't know what 75 100 million um, airline passengers yeah but those odds are not real good so I got home last night uh, after my long day's trip <laughs> I got home last night and and I open up my suitcase and sitting on top of all my things in my suitcase is a little sheet of paper that I did not put there. Uh, sheet oh, of paper yeah. the, from the transfer and, and I'll just read a portion of it here from the it's the big at the heading at the top of the little piece of paper is Transportation Security Administration Notice of Baggage Inspection. And then it says to protect you and your fellow passengers, the Transportation Security Administration, TSA, is required by law to inspect all checked baggage. As part That's of correct. this process, some bags are opened and physically inspected. Your bag was among those selected for physical inspection. I'm a winner. Welcome hey. to the group W Bench. That's right. Oh, yeah. But you know, so that's another another topic that's been in the news over the last few days. There have been a number of stories that a lot of this TSA-like security is perhaps about to overflow into the GA world. Right. What do you think about this? I think. Well, it it's interesting. Uh, there have been a number of stories, as Jack correctly notes. Um, <clears throat> The uh, General Accountability Office today published a, uh, let me see if I can find it here while I'm talking, published a report to Congress talking about um, Homeland Security 
progress has been made to address the vulnerabilities exposed by 9-11, but continued federal action is needed to further mitigate security risks. I had the opportunity earlier uh, today to, to open this document up and scan it and, and look at it. It does talk about general aviation. And basically what it says is that uh, because of general aviation's characteristic decentralization, non-scheduled nature, etc., that heretofore attempts to impose airline-style pre-boarding screening have not worked and probably won't work. It went on to note the AOPA's uh, um, airport watch program. It went on to talk about various other um, industry-level programs that have pr proven successful um, and basically punted at that point, saying that TSA has under study the issue of whether to institute greater restrictions or greater security checks, however you want to say it, on general aviation but has not yet come to the conclusion of that study and has not consequently made any recommendations. Another little news item that popped up uh, came from the Weekly of Business Aviation. I would presume on Monday of this week, I don't have the, uh, the uh, issue in front of me, but talks about uh, TSA Administrator, TSA Director Kip Hawley and his appearance before uh, Senate Commerce Committee last week talking about the 9-11 Commission recommendations um, and that uh, general aviation security is something, quote, is something we take very seriously, unquote, according to the uh, Weekly of Business Aviation. Uh, we are looking at what are the steps we can take in the short term to measurably improve security as we figure out the long, longer term issue. And that's uh, according to uh, again, to Kip Hawley, TSA director. Um, that article goes on to suggest that, well, let me, let me back up. Um, one of the regulatory changes made to general aviation security post 9-11 was something called the 12-5 security program. For this, charter operators. For charter operators, exactly. This is a program that um, requires a variety of things of uh, charter operators flying aircraft weighing more than 12,500 pounds who accept passengers. And there's a lot of airline-style security going on behind the scenes in that program. The uh, article in the Weekly of Business Aviation speculated that the TSA may wish to expand the 12-5 program beyond Part 135 operators of those heavier aircraft, those weighing in excess of 12,500 pounds, expand it to Part 91 operators of the same aircraft. Uh, man, in part, man, in, in, of course, that would impact mainly corporate operators, uh, would impact very few uh, personal operators, but that's not necessarily a good thing. Um, one of the issues that the TSA has always had with the 12-5 program is that you walk up, you walk out to, uh, I don't know, Signature or, or uh, Millionaire or any other FBO at a, at a major general aviation airport, 
and you see three more or less identical Learjets sitting on the ramp, you cannot tell at a glance which of those are Part 91 and which of those are Part 135 operations. Um, that's a problem that the TSA has always had. Um, my inclination, though, would be that uh, um, TSA has a lot of other problems, and there are a lot of other security issues facing uh, the country, many of which uh, happen to have been highlighted in this General, Accounting Abil General Accountability Office report released today. Like ports um, security? Like, like ports, like chemical plants, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and we also have to note here in the last week or so that the TSA has, has been making a lot of public noise about backing away from the congressionally mandated 100% cargo screening goal that it was set a couple of years ago, uh, which I find highly interesting. Basically, uh, the TSA is saying it's too hard. We can't do that. And yeah, we'd like no, to, that's we'd what like some to, members of Congress We'd like to make life too. difficult. We'd like to make life difficult for another segment can't of the population. Because it it's hard. It's right. Oh, it's um, hard. Um, FDR well, said, said it best. In 1933, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Well, let's keep this security thread going for just one more topic. Go for it. And I don't want to sing out my sympathies to all the Buckeye State pilots, aircraft owners, that uh, in their aircraft registration renewal for the state of Ohio are now required by law, at risk of, I think it's a level five felony, of... Uh, they've got to sign a declaration telling the state of Ohio that they're not a terrorist. <laughs> uh, well, that ought to slow down the real terrorists. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Under penalty of law, you've got to sign this declaration saying that you never contributed to a terrorist group, you don't have friends in terrorist groups, you haven't done a walkathon for a terrorist group. Uh, and, of course, all the guys that really are terrorists... We know what straight up and honest SOBs they all are. Sure. Uh, I, I I don't know what what happened on nine one one. It was like something came down from Mars and threw a genetic weak link into the brain of a lot of public officials because this is as lame brain as New York wanting to screen student pilots. And give me a break, folks. Has anybody heard that, that you know federal preemption is in in, in in effect here, where airspace rules, pilot qualification rules, and aircraft registration are in effect? And does the folks in Ohio, do the folks in Ohio really think that that's going to dissuade somebody, that a real terrorist is going to go, oh, I can't do it from Ohio? Right. Uh, well, well, we can't, we can't, we can't um, uh, register our 500,000-pound uh, uh, airplane in Ohio because uh, 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 the Ohio Department of Aviation will get after us for, for uh, uh, not We might get this caught by the um, Ohio DOT. Yeah. A couple of... It's got to be a boot shaker for the terrorists. Yeah, a couple of additional notes. One, I have to toot my horn. I was the one who uh, broke that story on AvWeb uh, a week or so ago, and uh, it's gotten a lot of traction here within the GA community um, since then. Um, secondly, uh, Clyde Morris, um, who uh, is uh, probably the only purely general aviation cartoonist out there, Clyde is K-L-Y-D-E, uh, has... has Recently published a few strips of uh, uh, his com his his uh, uh, comic strip here 
um, on this topic, and he's he's done a very good job with it. He's he's done a very good job generally with security and general aviation since uh, since. And for those of you that aren't familiar with Clyde Morris, yeah, Clyde is aviation's only ant pilot, <laughs> and that's not like your Aunt May. That's like the ant from the uh, picnic that uh, got spoiled by too many ants. Uh, I see. Okay. Uh, Clyde Clyde is a genuine one of a kind and yeah. has more airtime and more experience than most of us. Yeah. In well, some it, pretty exotic hardware. Is this stuff yeah. on the web? It is. www.klydemorris.com. Great. And we'll also put that uh, link in the show notes for anybody who needs to. Just needs a, a real, another little shout-out here. Uh, the creator and artist for... Uh, uh, Clyde Morris is a gentleman by the name of Wes Olashevsky. He lives, uh, used to live over in Annapolis, Maryland, not far from me. Um, uh, I uh, uh, know Wes fairly well and uh, uh, have a lot of respect for his talent, and uh, I'm glad to see that he's keeping the, those fires uh uh, those fires lit uh, here on these topics. So, yeah. Uh, no. uh, any TSA listener who uh, he wants to learn more about Clyde Morris, just go to that link and uh, you'll find everything you ever wanted to know. And last TSA topic, and I promise that I'll get off the soapbox for at least the rest of this podcast. Okay. Was, uh, news came to me uh, a little over a week ago that the uh, folks at the Transportation Security Administration are. Uh, uh, working on some new funding mechanisms uh, by selling, hold on to your <laughs> luggage bags, selling ads to go in the bottom of those plastic bins that we all throw our shoes and our notebook computers into when we go through the screening checkpoints at airline airports. Yes, folks, in three cities around the country, you can throw your shoes on top of an ad for carry-out pizza or back massage. I haven't seen any of the ads yet, uh, but the agency that's handling it is quite proud of this progress. So they actually uh, have placed some ad- I mean, who in the world, in their right mind, would want to be associated, who would want to be you know, kind of visible to a person when they're in such a frustrating and you know situation? I mean, it's like... Yeah, I, 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 thank thank that's you, Jack. The last, took the question right out of my brain. That's the last place that anyone will ever see an ad for uncontrolled airspace <laughs> well that goes without saying but yeah i mean it just doesn't even make advertising sense you know i mean my yeah, I goodness mean, think, think about it you know you've just gotten shaken down at the security checkpoint your luggage hand shakes your shoes off you've been wanded from toe to nose groin to back uh you've had to run to catch your flight and you pull your stuff out of a bin that says uh, you know buy my product oh yeah i'm rushing out to do business with those folks yeah uh, that's well, I can see, you know, just just putting on my my John Stewart hat here for a moment. I can see a lot of opportunities for this. Um, you can sell shoes and socks uh, at uh, uh, various kiosks down the down the way, down the concourse. Um, you can advertise uh, uh, for nail clippers. You can do all kinds of things <laughs> in that environment, and uh, I, I I can certainly see some some logic there, uh, uh, perverted though it may be. Um, so yeah, a good place uh, for lawyers. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. So uh, um, maybe they're onto something. Maybe they're not. I've, fortunately, I don't have to go through airline security very often. 
Yeah. You know, I have to admit, and, and I sort of tried to pick times that were low traffic, but I, I I was very worried about going. I haven't, this is the first time I've flown commercial in five years. And so I didn't, I'm you know, sorry. what it was like and, uh, you know, what it had come to these days. I have flown since 9-11, but just sort of in the year afterwards, and then I haven't flown. Um, and, and it actually was, it, although it was offensive to me, quite frankly, uh, it wasn't all that painful. I mean, I, the first, on my way out, I zoomed through. There was no line. And, and on my way back, there was a line, but it moved pretty well. I mean, you know, it's an ugly process, but it seems to be a process that at least sometimes that they've, they've uh, you know, got working. You didn't have to go through the strip wanding? No, I didn't, I didn't uh, ring that bell. Lucky no. guy. Yeah, no. But uh, anyways, well, I'm going to, you know, we can talk about security uh, 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 all, all day long, but let's not. Uh, let's not. Um, a couple of uh, bits of little business here. First of all, my little regular uh, reminder to folks of, of all the, the, the wide range of uncontrolled airspace uh, 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 products. If you <laughs> Just remind everybody that in, in addition to listening to the podcast, uh, we really do hope that everyone will visit the Uncontrolled Airspace website at uncontrolledairspace.com. All sorts of good stuff can be found there. The show notes for all of our episodes are there, as well as links to some of the things we talked about. We'll put these Clyde Morris and other... Uh, 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 URLs up there for you collect to... Collect the whole set. That's right. Um, you can, in fact, correct, collect the whole set by listening to any of our previous episodes at the website. And you can check out the Uncontrolled Airspace blog, which is rapidly becoming the Dave Higdon blog, uh, but that's okay. Uh, he's posting all sorts of fun things there. Um, stories that uh, we're following for future episodes or just things that we think are interesting about GA there at the, uh, at the website. You can sign up for our reminder email list. Uh, you can get instructions on how to subscribe Subscribe to the podcast, uh, and uh, by the way, remember to tell all your friends that you do not need to uh, have an iPod to listen to podcasts like this one. You can download the cast to any portable audio device, or just listen on your laptop or desktop computer. Uh, and finally, check back to the website often for all sorts of coming soon features, like a discussion forum, and maybe one of these days some uncontrolled airspace merchandise. So visit the website at uncontrolledairspace.com. One visit a week, that's all we ask. So, and let us hear from you. We love fan mail, Absolutely. phone calls. You can uh, you can leave voice message there. You can send us email. Uh, and remember, what you say couldn't make it onto the air. If you don't like what we, if you don't like what you hear, tell Dave Higdon about it. If you uh, do like what you hear, <laughs> tell me. Now, speaking of mail, and we really do love the mail. Uh, we got a really nice one that that arrived actually just a little bit before we started recording this, and it was uh, it's really cool. And I wanted to read a couple bits of it here. Speaking of, re- of of collecting the whole set, this is an email that came in this afternoon from uh, Will. Uh, normally, I wouldn't get read Will's last name, but uh, you'll see why this time I will read Will Hawkins, uh, who is uh, from uh, the uh, from the Bay Area of California. I wish I'd gotten Will's email a couple of days earlier. I might have tried to track you down, Will. But uh, Will's email. I won't read the whole thing, but a few bits of it here. Uh, my name is Will Hawkins, and I just downloaded all of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcasts. This is something, by the way, I recommend everyone consider doing. Uh, that was Jack, not Will. Will goes on to say, uh, <laughs> I first wanted to say that they are great. I am a longtime listener of the PilotCast podcast, along with some others, but I really like what you guys are doing. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Will. He goes on to say, second, I thought I would add 
a little to your mystical convergence. This is a thing we talked about a few episodes back, uh, it, where I was uh, talking about the fact that I uh, this is Jack speaking now. Uh, when I uh, was that I'm from, I learned to fly in Palo Alto, and we had email from a from a uh, listener who's based at Palo Alto, and so forth. Will goes on. Um, uh, you read an email from Pilot Ron, and who talked about flying out of Palo Alto, PAO. Uh, well, Ron is a good friend of mine. Will writes. Uh, he says that I met through the Pilot Cast podcast. Uh, it was kind of fun to listen to you read Ron's email on your podcast. The more you read, the more I figured out I knew him. Kind of cool. You also gave a plug for Jason Miller's podcast, The Finer Points. Jason and I have also become pretty good friends as well through podcasting. I just went flying with Jason last week. A really great guy. Will goes on to say, my aviation story is simple. I am a student pilot flying out of Watsonville, which is uh, on the coast, about uh, about a 20 or 30 minute flight Great south old of... airport. What's that? Great old airport. It is a wonderful airport, yeah. So he's flying out of, learning to fly out of Watsonville. Uh, he says, I also have my own podcast called The Student Pilot Flight Podlog, and I've been using podcasting as a way to keep a personal journal of my experience learning to fly. I recorded my in-flight audio, uh, excuse me, he says, I record my in-flight audio and then add them to the podcast. So far, I have a good response from it. I hope you don't mind. I gave you guys a plug on my last podcast. Well, that's appreciated. Oh, we don't mind. Will finishes up by saying, if you want to take a listen to my little slice of the internet, you can find it on iTunes or at web.mac.com slash I'm going to spell this. It's S-H-A-G-S-W-E-L-L. So it'd be like Shagswell. Uh, I'm just not even going to explore that. But, uh, I don't want to know either. Uh, web.mac.com slash Shagswell. And he finishes by saying, well, thanks again for the great podcast. Keep up the great work, Will. Thank you, Will. That's a great email. And uh, this just came in this afternoon. I haven't had a chance to listen to one of his podcasts yet, but I did visit his website, and it sounds like there's some really, really interesting stuff there. Will is very frank about the fact that he actually failed his first checkride attempt. The world part. Uh, he uh, he and uh, and at first I wasn't going to mention that. He told us that in his letter, and I wasn't going to mention it. But he's actually one of his podcasts is themed around that, and and that's kind of nice. It kind of shows shows you that you don't need to you know kind of stress out about it as much. You know, it's kind of a thing you can go back and you know and, and you know study the things you had a problem with and go back and do it again. He says he actually failed the oral of the of the check ride, um, and he's he's very frank about the fact that he just was nervous and 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 had some troubles with it, but. Uh, but he hasn't given up, and he's going to figure it Good out yet. Him. You know, so Good for him. I, uh, I got luck. a pink slip once on a check ride, and uh, it, it was not the end of my career either. So uh, Yeah, I, uh, I very nearly busted my check ride, too, because I, I kind of didn't do the forced landing part real well. And... Uh, um, but then, then my the uh, the examiner did a sort of somewhat unexpected uh, short approach when we were actually arriving back at the airport to just kind of demonstrate that I can get it down in a in a in a relatively small space and on on, on a particular spot and apparently that that brought me back into line. So uh, so you know don't worry about it if you're having trouble with your flight training or if you you know your check ride. I have to tell you that the, taking my check ride that test was one of the most stressful things I had been through in my enti- up to that point in my life because because I, I mean I was a fairly you know grown adult at that point I mean so to speak years wise anyways you're grown yeah right exactly uh, and 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 it had been years since I had taken a test of any sort and and I had just no real 
recollection or clue of how to prepare for it. And so I didn't know, have I studied enough, you know, or is this, you know, and, and I was really, really stressed out about it. I would imagine a lot of po- student pilots feel that way. And I would urge yeah. them to kind of, you know, uh, just kind of, you know, focus and do your best and, and, and you can take it again if you have to. Well, that's um, right. Will, I'm sure you probably have this, Will, but in case you don't, or for any others that are listening, a really good way to prep for the uh, for, for both halves of your check ride is to get the practical test standards that the uh, the examiner is going to work through uh, in giving you your check ride, uh, and it will if you can if you can get down in your brain. All the, you know, the answers to to the questions that are in the uh, practical test standards, uh, you're going to do fine. But the main thing to do is take a deep breath, relax, and remember that this is supposed to be fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because if you let it eat you up, uh, and it's really hard to... to, To fish back into the memory banks when you're all tense. It takes yeah. all the fun out of it. I, I uh, it does. Not not knowing the individual and, and not knowing uh, 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 the history or anything like that, I have to kind of lay a little bit of blame here on his uh, flight instructor, though. I was thinking the same thing. That uh, in in that there are a number of ways to to prepare. A, a student for the private pilot check ride, the oral, the practical portions, um, and uh, it doesn't strike me that um, there was enough uh, uh, enough preparation. Ideally, the the in my mind anyway, the best way to to prep somebody for that, uh, especially the oral, is to have someone else, not the instructor, come in and quiz the student. That was my good fortune. Is, uh, I got to do a mock oral with my uh, primary CFI before my private pilot check ride, and with a CFI that I didn't know at all for my yeah. instrument check ride. And uh, it was really good prep work. It uh, exposed to me very quickly uh, where I was strong and could relax and where I was weak and needed to hit the books again. Uh, and I locked out and passed both of them. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it's never ceased to amaze me that every time I fly with a new CFI, I learn something new. Oh, absolutely. I, absolutely. You know, everybody, you know, I guess, you know, each CFI has a different, you know, different tips to give you, a different perspective, will look at your flying in a different way and point things out to you. I mean, every time I've ever flown with a different CFI, it's just been terrific. Um, you learn new stuff, even in the areas you thought you kind of had it figured out. Um, I've even learned things that I didn't want to do from CFIs. <laughs> Well, there's that, and there's also um, just the, the flying with anybody new. You know, why are you doing what you're doing the way you're doing it? Um, yeah. is, and, and if you have a good explanation for that, then more power to you. But if it's, yeah. my, my instructor always told me to do it this way, well, that's not good enough. <laughs> yeah, that's not the answer. That's not the right answer. And you need to come up with a better answer um, that, that is thought about. Uh, a variety of things, not least of which is, is there a better way to do this? Uh, is there a safer way to do this? Or and is there a way, way to do this that perhaps does not have any unintended consequences at some point? Um, and and, and the, this could be anything. Uh, 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 could be any particular maneuver or operation or, or uh, a manipulation of the controls in any airplane. Uh, Will, you're going you're gonna to make it through the second time, absolutely, okay? Have absolutely. a good time. And we're and pulling then, for you. And then grab a bunch of your friends, girlfriend, wife, kids, and uh, right after that. Not necessarily you know, all the, the same drive. flight, though. 
and uh, take them somewhere with your newly minted license. I mean, like day of. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a lot of news out there this week, but we're sort of running yeah. to the end of our allotted time here. Um, and we'll be back next time um, with more opportunities. But are there any short items that we want to cover before we, we move on here? Uh, any, any little things we want to? Dave, you had something, I think. I had two little quickies. Uh, first, uh, this weekend, the 27th, if you happen to be in the neighborhood of Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and have skis on your plane, you'd fit right into their annual ski plane fly-in that's uh, held over at the Pioneer Airport portion of the Oshkosh uh, Airport grounds. Uh, that's a grass strip that uh, is flanked by the antique hangars on one side and the EAA headquarters and museum on the other. Uh, Last year, they had the bad fortune to have uh, really pretty weather and no snow. Uh, it's shaping up for a much better ski plane flying this this weekend. Great. Uh, is there actually snow on the ground up there? Yeah, there actually is snow on Super. the ground up there, and they were looking to get more the last time I checked. Uh, second, I want to say farewell to an old friend who passed on uh, a few days ago. He was the longtime uh, flight standards chief at the FAA headquarters office at 800 Independence. Uh, Bernie Geyer was one of the most dedicated uh, uh, people that you'll ever meet. Uh, he was uh, one of those folks that... On, on most days, gave uh, a good spin to the word bureaucrat. Uh, I first met him when uh, he was in the pipeline to approve the then-pending NPRM that created FAR 103 for the ultralights. This is 25 years ago uh, when I moved on to D.C. to, to uh, work for AOPA and then for uh, an airline magazine. Uh, Bernie was one of those folks that was always willing to help expand my horizons and educate me into the ways of the FAA in particular and the federal government in general. Uh, we're sorry to hear of Bernie's passing. Uh, Bernie also spent years as the air boss at uh, EAA's f annual fly-in convention back in the days before it was called Air Venture. Uh, true gentleman and he will be missed. Yeah, I, I knew Bernie casually um, from variety of past lives that I've been through and uh, he was uh, a fixture at the FAA for a number of years uh, very knowledgeable fair-minded um, one of the old-school types who uh, there is just too few of these days not only at the FAA but elsewhere in the industry That's and true. Uh, it's, a, it's a sad page to turn uh, to learn of Bernie's passing what else uh, I, I, one little thing I'd like to to bring in. I uh, just give a little shout out to uh, uh, a weekly column on the internet. Um, it's called Ask the Pilot. It's on Salon.com. Oh yeah. Uh, which is uh, uh, a pay-per-view site or subscription site, but uh, you can get into it for free by watching a short ad or clicking through a short ad. Uh, the writer's name is Patrick Smith. And he's been doing this column, uh, um, well, for as long as I've been reading Salon.com, uh, two or three, four years now anyway. And um, Patrick comes at, uh, at the uh, industry from the airline uh, side, uh, has a lot of very interesting insights on um, what an airline pilot sees and his, uh, his daily comings and goings. He and I have uh, corresponded uh, numerous occasions in, in recent months, most particularly 
in the aftermath of the uh, Brazilian midair that we've talked about here on uncontrolled airspace. Um, and just uh, if, if you uh, have an idle moment, uh, uh, go on over to salon.com and uh, uh, check out uh, the Ask the Pilot series. It's a weekly column again. And uh, I find it very, uh, very educational and, and very enlightening, at least, uh, not least of which, I, I should say, is uh, um, the airline side of the aviation industry, what it's like to be an airline pilot. And uh, uh, Patrick apparently has a lot of international experience. Um, and uh, it's, it's all very enlightening, very interesting to me. Sounds great. I'm going to have to check it out. I'll have to yeah. go take you a look. You mentioned the Brazilian midair. I did. And, okay. Uh, yeah. Quickie on that, and, and then I'll shut the hell up. Okay. Uh, but uh, the government of Brazil, the investigators down there uh, from that uh, crash last fall, September. have uh, assigned some of the blame to uh, Brazil's air traffic control uh, uh, operators at the time of the accident. Uh, that could be good news for the two American pilots that have already been charged in this because the uh, controllers are part of the Brazilian military and there's a real serious question on whether there's any way that they can be prosecuted, uh, the controllers can be prosecuted, and if they can't prosecute the controllers, that brings into question whether they should continue to prosecute the two American pilots. Uh, and our opinion is people shouldn't be prosecuted for aircraft accidents. Uh, not, not that we have opinions or anything. Not that we have an opinion. But uh, um. uh, we're hoping that that is uh, another step in the way to uh, vindicating these guys uh, from any criminal action. And uh, yeah. we'll keep our fingers crossed for them. Ever since this tragedy occurred, just about anyone with a pulse or any, any minimal knowledge of air traffic control has, has pointed to Brazil's air traffic control system as being at least partially at fault here. So it's it's gratifying uh, to note that uh, uh, the wheels of, of justice, as they were, as they are, do turn slowly, but they do turn. Um, none of which is to say that uh, the U.S. pilots are out of the woods, and, and none of which is no. to say that uh, we know everything there is to know about this episode and that there is no culpability on the part of the pilots. But um, uh, from what we know now and uh, uh, from what we have seen and what we suspect is the case, um, is this is just one of those things that, you know, stuff happens, folks, especially when you fly airplanes. When you fly them very fast and very high, uh, stuff does happen. Uh, it's the only and way to... When you fly to, them in places with primitive air traffic control systems, it's even riskier. Thank yeah. you. And, and uh, you know, the, the only way to remain totally safe and risk-free is to stay at home in your easy chair, but even that has its own risks. Yeah. I was going to say, then you hope that the place doesn't burn down around you. There you go. We've already got a big list of things that we can talk about on the next podcast, uh, which, which <laughs> we do? because of the lateness of this one, will be in about a week, actually. So uh, um, we'll be back pretty soon with episode number 14. But I want to thank you guys. Uh, uh, Jeb, at, you learn learn more about Jeb and his work at uh, aviationsafetymagazine.com or at avweb.com. Thank you, Jeb. And My Dave, pleasure. thank you very much. Uh, learn more about Dave and his work Always at a pleasure. davehigdon.com. And I am Jack Hodgson uh, of Jack Hodgson. Hodgson.com and check us all out at the website uncontrolledairspace.com. Thanks, everyone. We'll talk to you again next time. So long, everybody. Hasta la vista. Baby, please stop crying. Stop crying. Stop crying. Stop crying. Baby, please stop crying. Stop crying. Stop 
can email your suggestions and feedback about this podcast to podcast at uncontrolledairspace.com. The sun will always shine, but baby, please stop crying. I don't have any trouble keeping it clean when I'm. Uh, yeah, I think we're when okay. I know we're on the air. Yeah. Uh, well, if we start talking about TSA, all bets are off. Okay. Can I? <laughs> How do you really feel? <laughs> don't get me started. Oh, don't get me started. Wasn't that the title of an early episode? Uh, it was something like that. Yeah. I forget what it was. Anyways, all right. Let me see if I got all my ducks in a row here. And uh, quack, 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 you realize I'm recording this too. Yeah, I understand. And I've got that now for posterity. That's that's going to be used somehow, somehow, some way. What was that like noise? Looks like a duck and walks like I don't know. I don't know. Some, someone either passed wind. So, oh, Higdon, stop it! 